Well, if you want to discern what God is up to in the world, and I hope you do, and if you want to effectively defend your soul from evil, and I hope you do, then you have to be aware of God's plans for the future. Because God's revelation of the future is the lens through which we interpret the present. And the prophet we're going to consider today can help us put that lens in place. His name was Zephaniah. And the book that bears his name contains an Old Testament preview of events described in the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. Unlike his fellow prophets, Zephaniah's message can't be found in just one expression or one brief passage. His primary focus is communicated by way of a contrast, the stark contrast between the declaration from God that opens the book and the declaration from God that closes the book. Speaking to the nation of Judah, God opened the book of Zephaniah with these words, I will completely remove all things from the face of the earth. And then he later closed the book with this declaration, I will give you renown and praise among all the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your eyes. Last week, we considered a prophet who had a complaint against God. Today, we're going to consider a prophet who recorded God's complaint against sinful humanity and who revealed his plans to one day change things. I've entitled this study, Ruin and Restoration. Let's look to the Lord together in prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, we can't understand, let alone apply, the truth that you have revealed to us in your living word, left to our own devices. We need the assistance and the enlightenment and the empowering that comes from your Holy Spirit. So I pray, Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on us in these moments. Enable me to echo your truth faithfully. Enable us to understand it. Enable us to apply it. And as always, we pray these things in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen and amen. And as we listen for God's voice to us today, may the Lord be with you. The prophet Amos once said, God doesn't do anything unless he first reveals it to his servants, the prophets. And fortunately for us, God's prophets are not the members of some secret order that keeps secrets to themselves. God's prophets are his messengers. Whatever he reveals to his prophets, he intended it to be announced to us so that we could know him and know what he's up to in the world. And that's why the prophet Zephaniah addressed the ancient nation of Judah. He informed them that God was about to do something, something he had done before, something he would do again, and something that he's going to do in the future that lies ahead of us. God was about to release ruin. 
He was about to release ruin on the nation of Judah because God often releases temporary ruin to set the stage for permanent restoration. On an individual level, before we come to faith, God ignites a sense of spiritual ruin in our heart. He calls it the conviction of sin. And it makes us aware of our brokenness and the emptiness of unbelief. It's intended to produce a haunting disappointment that God calls godly sorrow. Conviction of sin leads to godly sorrow. And that godly sorrow is meant to nudge us towards repentance that opens the door to abundant and eternal life. After conversion, God often uses things that feel like ruin to make us aware of things in our life that are hindering our restoration. And he calls those things that feel like ruin his discipline. And he said, my discipline is a reminder to you of just how much I love you, how much I'm invested in you, and it affirms that you are one of my children. But Zephaniah's focus wasn't on individual ruin and restoration. I only mention that to put you in the right frame of mind. Zephaniah's focus was national ruin and restoration international ruin and restoration, and universal ruin and restoration. He approached three things, or he addressed three things. The approaching ruin of a nation that had once known God, the subsequent of ruin of nations that had no desire to know God, and the final ruin of everyone who rejects God. And the prophet made it clear that the ruin released by God always leads to restoration, but it isn't always the restoration of the thing that was ruined. I'll explain that when we get near the close. Now, the first ruin that Zephaniah prophesied was the approaching ruin of the nation of Judah, a nation that had once known God, but had essentially deserted him. Zephaniah's announcement probably caught them by surprise because on the surface, it appeared that they were in the midst of a religious revival, that faith was on the upswing because they were led by a good king, a righteous man named Josiah, and he wanted to see his nation return to being faithful to God. So it appeared things were on the upswing. But you know appearances can be deceiving. Not everything that looks like spiritual progress is spiritual progress. And those who know God and his word can discern the difference. And Zephaniah knew God and his word. That's why he didn't make mention of the reforms. He didn't applaud the changes. He knew they were superficial. The people still enjoyed violence and deceit. They still engaged in dishonest business practices. And they were still absorbed in materialism. And to make matters worse, they believed that they could actually combine the worship of the living God 
with the worship of idols, statues, unseen deities of the pagan nations surrounding them. And it got so bad that Zephaniah said, you go on to the roof of your house so that you can pray to Jehovah one minute and pray to these eastern idols and deities a few moments later. So the nation was in serious spiritual decline. But the decline didn't end on the rooftop because diminished faith eventually leads to de facto atheism, practical atheism. And that's where Judah was. Now, outwardly, they applauded the resurgence of worship because the king was leading the charge. And it was a good thing to do politically. But privately, Zephaniah said, they told one another, God isn't going to do anything. God isn't going to say anything. God doesn't make any difference whatsoever. And that's practical atheism. So Zephaniah knew he wasn't looking at revival. He was looking at betrayal. Years later, Jesus would say, nobody can serve two masters because you'll love the one and hate the other. You'll be devoted to the one. You'll despise the other. Zephaniah knew we cannot be generally faithful to God any more than we can be generally faithful to our spouse. If my wife Karen were to say, Rock, have you been faithful to me? And I answered, generally. (laughs) That's not going to wash. Because what does, that, what does that response mean? Not always. Just some of the time. Well, sometime faithfulness is not faithfulness. It's betrayal. And Scripture makes it clear that the worship of idols, idolatry, is spiritual adultery. It betrays God's love. It betrays God's investment in us. It betrays God's covenant. That's why Zephaniah chose his words carefully. He said, Judah has sinned against Jehovah. Not against all that is good, not against God's commands, but against God himself. Because all sin is intensely personal. It's always an act of rejection and rebellion aimed toward God. So Judah's compromise was very personal. Now, because Judah had rejected God, he was about to release ruin on them. And Zephaniah described it this way. He said, the day of the Lord is at hand. And he described it as a day of wrath and trouble and distress and destruction and desolation and waste and darkness. They were going to be destroyed by the surrounding pagan nations. Now, their destruction would not lead to their permanent end. Because of their past faith in God, because of their unique role in God's universal agenda, because there was a faithful remnant of believers in their midst, and because of the promises God had made to that nation for centuries, 
Judah's impending ruin would lead to their eventual restoration. But that restoration was going to be far off, and all the time in between was going to be really, really ugly. And on a personal note, that should warn us that if we allow ourselves to compromise our faith and drift away from our relationship with God, we would be wise to repent before God has to release ruin rather than repent because of ruin. Because while he will restore you, the journey from where you are to that restoration may not be very pretty. Now, the second ruin that Zephaniah prophesied was the eventual ruin of Judah's enemies. God was going to release them to ruin Judah because of Judah's sin. And then in the future, he was going to release ruin on those nations because of their own sins. But unlike Judah, they weren't going to eventually be restored. And here's why. God doesn't restore the arrogant. He restores the humble. And the surrounding pagan nations were arrogant where God was concerned. They had no desire for restoration because they had no desire for God and they felt no need of God. And that became clear in one of the things they said. Zephaniah recorded the words of the people of Nineveh. And Nineveh arrogantly boasted, quote, I am and there is no one else, end quote. Does that sound rather familiar? You remember when God revealed his identity to Moses, he said, I am. It was God's way of saying, I exist independent of anything and everything else. I am completely self-determining, and I am sufficient in every regard. Moses, I am. Now, those words on God's lips are appropriate, but on the lips of Nineveh? See, that nation was in essence saying, we're self-sufficient. We don't need any God. We've got a great economy. We've got a great military. We lead the world in knowledge. We don't need anybody. And the fact that they didn't want God would mean that they wouldn't have God because God doesn't force himself upon those who feel no need of him. He never forces himself on anyone. He invites. Now, Scripture and history combined tell us that God always does what he says he will do. So the ruin of Judah unfolded exactly as prophesied. And then years later, the ruin of the pagan nations unfolded exactly as prophesied. But then Zephaniah shifted his focus to a ruin that still awaits us, one that's coming out in the future. God enabled him to look down the corridors of time to a future day, to a future day of the Lord that will come at the end of this present age. And it will signal the ruin of God's enemies, those who reject God, who reject his kingdom, and reject his people. It will be preceded by spiritual, religious, social, political, and economic conditions very similar to those of Zephaniah's day. And many things are pointing towards its approach. I suggest that because our times are eerily similar 
to the times of Zephaniah. In many places in this world where faith once flourished, it's now virtually non-existent or severely compromised. Idolatry, the worship and dependence upon something other than God, is epidemic, especially the idol of materialism. God's truth is rejected in the name of tolerance. We are seeing a world that is tolerant of everything but truth. Increasing numbers of people believe that our existence is determined and governed entirely by natural law, unthinking forces of nature, rather than by a thinking and loving God. And the world has assumed an I am and there is no one else posture, much like ancient Nineveh in utter disdain for God's word. The opening lines of Genesis, the foundation of everything that follows, are being replaced by a human anti-narrative that is setting the stage for the anti-Christ. And if you read the opening chapters of Genesis in just the exact order that God communicates truth, the world is attacking every one of those truths. The narrative of Genesis has been replaced by an alternative version of creation, an alternative version of nature and human existence, an alternative version of gender, an alternative version of marriage, an alternative version of morality. And again, follow it. In the beginning, God created. We replaced that with unthinking evolution. Male and female, he created them. We replaced that with however many genders people are claiming today. Man shall leave his father and mother, leave, cleave to his wife, and the two shall be one flesh. We're redefining marriage. Everything God set forth as foundational in order, this culture is attacking in that same order. It's an anti-narrative. It moves God off the throne and replaces him with humanity. And as more and more people buy into that narrative, it will set the stage for the Antichrist a false messiah who will consolidate the world politically with the promise of a very short-lived peace that will usher in the ultimate day of the Lord. Now those who applaud these developments suggest we are at a hinge point in history. I was reading their, their, their forecast this past week. A hinge point in history. A time when the old model is being replaced by a new model. They're predicting a global revolution dominated by technology that will radically alter the way we live. And they see it all as positive. But Zephaniah foresaw all of this millennia ago, and he didn't see these developments as being positive. He viewed them differently. He said there is coming a time of escalating evil and open blatant rebellion against God. And it will move God to release ruin on an unprecedented scale in what Zephaniah called the final and ultimate day of the Lord. Now in the aftermath of that, there will come a wonderful 
restoration. Jesus will reign over his creation and his people. Remember, Scripture tells us Jesus created the universe, and he holds it together by the word of his power. And the earth is the Lord's property. He's not going to let humanity usurp his property. He's not going to let Satan and the forces of wickedness take what belongs to him. There will be a restoration. Holiness will replace evil. Order will replace chaos. Peace will replace war. Justice will replace injustice. Life will replace death. Light will replace darkness. The church will rule and govern with Christ. Israel will be restored to her role as a prize messenger of God's truth. And Zephaniah said in that day, God will rejoice over his people with singing. Now imagine that. One day God's going to sing over us. We sang our praises to him. One day, he's going to sing with celebrating joy over us and the restoration of his planet, of his universe, of this earth, and of his people. Now, that future day of the Lord is going to unfold just as surely as those two other days of the Lord that Zephaniah prophesied. It will be the true hinge point of history. It will signal the end of the old order and the start of a new one. It will usher in a global revolution, but it won't be dominated by technology, please. It will be dominated by God. And it will radically alter the way God's people will live forever and ever and ever in a restored creation. Now, earlier I noted that the ruin God releases always leads to restoration. But it's not always the restoration of the thing that was ruined. It may be the restoration of something else. And I said that for two reasons. First, God's ruin is experienced differently by those who receive him than it is by those who reject him. If you've received God into your life, any ruin he releases is for your restoration. If you reject God, the ruin he releases is for your ultimate destruction. And the prophecies of Zephaniah underline that because they tell us that God will one day release the permanent ruin of rebellious humanity in order to bring about the permanent restoration of his people and his creation. Rebellious humanity will be ruined, but God's creation and his people will be restored. Now, declarations like this one trouble a lot of people. They inevitably provoke angry protest among the unbelieving and objections from compromised believers. They like to suggest a God of love would never do such a thing. And as I've reminded you previously in this series, most who talk about a God of love don't know God and don't understand love. They're talking about a God who looks like them, and they're talking love as they define it. They're not talking about the God who reveals himself in Scripture. 
and who is the very definition and embodiment of genuine love. And what they forget is that spiritual ruin isn't created by God. It's created by us, by humanity. He merely releases it. He stops restraining the ruin of evil to pave the way for the restoration of good. We create the evil. We create the ruin. God in mercy withholds our experiencing the full impact of our sin until the day when he says, all right, I've pleaded with you, I've waited, I've invited. Now, have it your way. And when God says, have it your way, he stops restraining the mess we created and lets us experience the ultimate outcome of our choices. So don't get angry toward a God who releases what we created so that he could restore what we've made a mess of. If you've got to get angry, get angry against humanity, us, for creating the mess that requires his restoration. It's not God who is deficient. It's humanity that is deficient. This earth is God's property. We often hear people in light of climate change and the possibility of nuclear conflagration talking about the end of the world. The world isn't going to end. Do not spend two seconds worrying that the world is going to come to an end because the Bible teaches the world is not going to come to an end. God doesn't produce stuff with an expiration date on it. The earth is the Lord's. He's going to restore it to what it was originally meant to be. He's not going to let little people dust in the wind destroy his property any more than you would allow some squatter to move into your house and ruin it. No, you'd kick him to the curb. God isn't going to let this earth end. You don't have to worry about the end of the world. But the world as we know it is going to change. But it's got to change for the better. And you say, well, how relevant is this for me this week? Keep it in mind and you'll discover how relevant it is. Because the end we envision for ourselves shapes all of our decisions during the journey. That's why I say only those who know what God has planned for the future are really ready to live in the present. Let's unite our hearts in prayer. Today I talked about the ruin God releases in the lives of those who don't yet know Jesus. It's designed to magnetize your heart towards God. And if that describes you, and today my words have sort of codified your thinking about what's been happening in your heart, well, that's God chasing you because he loves you and wants you to be a part of his kingdom. This would be a great time to respond to his pursuit and say, Lord, I realize you've been drawing me. I want to take Jesus as my Lord and Savior. If you're a believer and God spoke to you today about some area where you've compromised, where your devotion has drifted, 
where you've embraced something other than Jesus that's contrary to Jesus. And if God has said, I don't want to release the ruin in your life, but I will if I have to to restore you, then why not make the smart choice and repent before he releases the ruin? Spare yourself the ugliness. Gracious Heavenly Father, we're thankful that every good thing created out of your heart and in your power is protected by your heart and by your power. Humanity does not have the capacity to destroy your creation. Humanity will not destroy your creation. Humanity will not destroy your narrative. Humanity will not establish its own truth. It will simply be crushed by its own lies. Because there is coming the day of the Lord. Just as certain as it came to Judah and the pagan nations, it is coming to this world. The day when the kingdoms of this world become the kingdoms of our God and of his Christ, and he reigns forever and ever. And Peter said, in light of that reality, how should we live? Help us to live with one eye on the present and one eye on the horizon. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I've been closing each of these studies of the minor prophets by saying, what would Jesus say to us? What would culture say to us when we stand at the intersection of faith and culture? Well, Zephaniah reminds us, when you stand at that intersection, the culture says, we are discarding. We are discarding the old lies of Scripture so that we can make a better world. Jesus says, I'm going to destroy the oldest lie recorded in Scripture, that humanity can be like God's. And then when I've destroyed that, I will establish a better world. If you're smart, you'll listen to Jesus.